This is episode number 71 with Lara Bryden. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Dr. Lara Bryden is a naturopathic doctor and the period revolutionary, leading the change to better periods. Informed by a strong science background and more than 20 years' experience with patients, Lara is a passionate communicator about women's health and alternatives to hormonal birth control. Her book, The Period Repair Manual, is a manifesto of natural treatment for better hormones and better periods and provides practical solutions using nutrition, supplements, and natural hormones. Now in its second edition, the book has been an underground sensation and has worked to quietly change the lives of tens of thousands of women around the world. And this episode is life-changing. We chat about what the pill is actually doing to our bodies, why period pain is not normal, her top three non-conventional ways to combat period pain, why our periods go missing, the top five non-hormonal natural contraception methods, how long you need to wait after you come off the pill before you make a baby, why making a baby is a team sport and why our men are just as responsible, what men can do to make sure they have super sperm, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 71. And without further ado, let's bring on the amazing, the super knowledgeable Dr. Lara Bryden. Lara, it is so great to have you on the show, but before we dive into the juiciness of this episode, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? <laughs> yeah, I had leeks with fried in butter with some leftover rice from last night and a tin of salmon. Oh, yum. That sounds delicious. Now, I'm so excited for this episode because during high school, I would get debilitating periods, which, you know, I would sometimes pass out, I would vomit, and I would have to miss days off school. And the only way that I got through that pain was using painkillers. And then from the age of 18 to 24, so roughly seven years, I went on the pill because that's what everyone else was doing and because I was told that that's what you do to not fall pregnant. And it wasn't until a bit later on that I started doing research and learning about the effects that the pill has on us and has on our body. And then at age 24, I went off it. But I didn't get a period for about a year and a half after that. Now, 
This, unfortunately, isn't a very uncommon story, and I hear it a lot, and I'm sure you do too. So first, let's start with what the pill is actually doing to our body. Like, what is it actually doing to us? The pill shuts down women's hormones, and it induces what is essentially a like a, a chemical menopause, almost, or you know, a hormonal shutdown, and then replaces those missing hormones with a type of hormone replacement with some steroidal drugs, which are similar to estrogen and progesterone, but which are not the same and do not have the same benefits. If, if it's the pill, it can induce a pill bleed, which can be kind of reassuring, but that doesn't really mean anything because it's not a real period. So it's a pretend period. Yep. It's a pill bleed. It's a drug-induced bleed that's timed to happen whenever you happen to take the sugar pills. And you know, there's really no, well, there is no medical reason to bleed monthly on a drug like that. Wow. Okay. I've, I've never heard that. I didn't know it was like a pretend bleed. I thought you were still getting your period, but it was dictated, but it's like a fake bleed. That's amazing. Wow. Well, when I say fake period, I mean, it's a bleed, it's a real bleed, but it's not a cycle. So if we define a period as a menstrual cycle that includes ovulation and the making of hormones, especially the making of a hormone called progesterone, then of course, none of that happens while you're on hormonal birth control. It's canceled out all of that dynamic hormonal events that happen. And I always like to bring it back to ovulation because in my thinking, the period is not the important part of a menstrual cycle. Ovulation is. It's a source of vitality for women. Mm, and when I didn't have my period for that year and a half, it affected all these different areas in my life. Like all of these different areas of my health were falling away. And, you know, ovulation is a sign of vitality, like you said, and health. So, like I said before, this isn't an uncommon story, is it? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, we're in a, a, just a time where it's a strange time in medicine where we think it's okay to routinely do that to most young women. It's, I keep coming back to the statement I've said a few times that I think I'm confident that future generations will look back and not be able to believe what we were doing with women's health in terms of this blanket approach of just giving a drug to shut down hormones and shut down ovulation. Mm. So why are we getting period pain in the first place? Because a lot of people go on the pill. Usually there's a couple of reasons, either it's to clear up their skin or to not fall pregnant or because of the pain. So why are we even getting pain in the first place? And is that normal? I will say that period pain is not normal. It's common. So, you know, if someone's experienced pain, they don't need to panic that, you know, something's wrong with them. But I think with the right diet and nutritional support, then women should not expect their periods to be painful. That said, there is, it's a, it more, a slightly more complicated question because there is a condition called endometriosis that is common that affects one in 10 women. And it causes pain. So there's a bit of overlap between just period pain, common run-of-the-mill period pain, and when it starts, when it, when it is a, the result of the underlying disease process. I think of them quite differently and the, the, the standard period pain versus the endometriosis. And the way I explain it in my book is standard period pain should basically go away with these simple natural treatments. And if it doesn't, then you need to start considering whether 
it's endometriosis. And what are the natural treatments? The two things that I find work the best, number one is zinc. And actually recently, about about three years ago, there was a a clinical trial in an Australian women's health journal about using zinc for period pain. And they found it worked better than the pill, which is just great news for women. And the other, the second thing with my own patients that I just consistently see is to cut cow's milk, cow's dairy from the diet, at least for a while to try it, at least for a few months, because for some women that basically just eliminates pain. Wow. Okay. So if someone is experiencing period pain, maybe they could try the zinc and going dairy-free. How many months would you suggest that they try that? And if they're still then experiencing pain, should they go and get tested for endometriosis? Yeah. So three months, I'd say to try the the natural treatments. I also offer the treatment of turmeric. I describe that in my book as another simple way to help with period pain. And if that's not even touching the sides, you know, if that's just not working, then yeah, I think it's time to have a conversation with the doctor about possible endometriosis. But here's the thing. It is not an easy condition to diagnose. There is no one simple way to diagnose it. We're, we're all hoping for what might be in the near future, a blood test or possibly a saliva test to diagnose the disease. But currently, the only way to diagnose it is, is surgery, which is obviously quite daunting, quite a, a problem. So what has to happen is women need to get into the right doctor who can perhaps, you know, a, a gynecologist who understands endometriosis and describe how much pain they're in, describe how many painkillers they're taking. If, you know, a good doctor would be able to possibly do a physical exam to assess. There's ultrasound can sometimes pick up endometriosis if it's done properly, but having a normal ultrasound exam does not rule out the disease. Is it cysts on the ovaries? Is that what it is? No, no. So no, endometriosis is an inflammatory disease of essentially of the pelvis, although you can actually have endometriosis anywhere. They're inflammatory lesions that attach to the outside of the uterus or to the bowel or to the bladder or just inside the tissue in the pelvis and kind of flare up and cause pain and cause scarring with every period. Right. Okay. And how common is this? One in 10. And the average time to diagnosis is 10 years. What that means in a common story is women for 10 years are, go- are suffering, thinking that's just how, what it's like to have a period, taking painkillers, going to their doctor, being told they should just either take the pill or just kind of suck it up and there's nothing to be done. And of course, there are other treatments. You know, the pill is kind of put forward as a so-called treatment for endometriosis, but it's not, you know, it can sometimes alleviate it to some degree, but it's not a long-term solution. The only real solution, I guess the, the medical treatment, well, the conventional treatment is surgery properly done surgery. But in my book, I also describe several natural treatments that can help to reduce the activity of the disease, not cure it, but certainly for many of my patients and my readers, they report reaching the point of no symptoms, no pain, which is as close to cure as you you can get. Yeah. So how does someone go about finding a gynecologist who understands? Like, How do you shop around for someone who really understands this? Yeah, you need to go into one of the forums, the online forums where people are talking about their doctors and because you cannot, unfortunately, just find a list online of the doctors who kind of know what they're doing about it. When I say know what they're doing, I just mean they've had extra training in endometriosis. They've been trained in something called excision surgery, which can be helpful for endometriosis. So there's um, 
a website called Nancy's Nook, which a lot of my readers say that they guided them to help. And in Australia, there's, I've just forgotten the exact name right now, but they have um, a private Facebook group where you can ask other women their experience and, and get some support that way. Oh, that's really great. And we can link to that in the show notes. So what are some of the natural solutions that have really worked for your patients in the past? There's a, a strong link between the disease, endometriosis, and what's happening in the digestion. And I know that sounds strange, but that's showing up. It, certainly I've seen that with my patients. That's showing up in the research. There was recently a study out of New Zealand where they found that diet changes that improve symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome, for example, can also greatly improve endometriosis. And I think it's because by reducing inflammation in the gut, that therefore reduces inflammation in the disease. And so that can also mean avoiding, you know, for some time, but not forever necessarily, but avoiding gluten, avoiding dairy as well. There's a bit of overlap there. You know, addressing any underlying issues with gut can go a long way. That would might, might include taking probiotics can be helpful. And then beyond that, there's a couple of supplements that I use. One is called N-acetylcysteine, which has also undergone a clinical trial. Most of the treatments I'm mentioning to your readers today are the one, some of the natural treatments that are more researched for these conditions. And it's called NAC or N-acetylcysteine. And it's, it gives, I've seen it give great relief. And it's also, you know, it's safe in combination with other medications, which is great. Mm, it, there seems to be a real common theme with a lot of the topics that I talk about on my podcast, and it all seems to stem back to the gut and the gut health, isn't it? It's just so powerful. Well, they say our gut is our second brain. And, you know, even this, like who would have thought that painful periods and endometriosis would be related to our gut health. Absolutely. Yep. It's, and it's a complex disease. It's more than just gut. It's certainly related to hormones as well. And it's related to the immune system and the, the immune system is related to gut. So there's, there's a, we're, we're, the body is connected. <laughs> Different parts of the body are connected. So, which is great because it means we have a way in to treat these diseases just through diet and lifestyle, which puts some of the power back with women, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. So this is very common for a lot of people, but why did my period go missing in the first place? I say this to my patients. It's like they say, okay, my period, I lost my period when I came off the pill. But then my, my response is, well, you were not having periods when you were on the pill. Those were pill bleeds. So the last time you had a period, a real cycle was say 10 or 15 years ago, you know, when you were a teenager that was your last period. And the difference is that now you know, your periods have been gone all these years on the drug, on the pill, and now you're wanting it to come back. You're trying to encourage ovulation to start up again for the first time, possibly in a decade. And that's not always easy to do, which is why there's something called post-pill syndrome, which means a lack of periods for some time. It can honestly, it can take up to two years for some women to get their period. Some women is straight away, you know, after the first month or two, which is great for them. But for some women, it's much longer. And again, I'll say that's nothing, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that woman. It's just that's her body's response to the drug, to having her, had her hormones suppressed for all that time. Mm. So if someone has come off it and their period has gone missing, don't freak out because it is common. 
and it can take up to two years. I just want people to really hear that because a lot of women come up to me and they are freaking out. And I say to them, if you think about it, you've had a drug telling your body and tricking your body for 10 or 15 years. Like it's trying to work out how to work on its own again. It's trying to like figure this out. It's like, okay, cool. I don't know how to do this thing on my own anymore. So it's kind of trying to have to learn how to walk again. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. In my book, in the first chapter, I give a patient story of my patient, Christine, who, yeah, it took her a little over a year. And as I say in the book, when Christine came to see me, she was not, fortunately, not trying to fall pregnant so that she was able to just relax into it a little bit and, you know, let it happen. But it's, it's, yeah, it's a different story when you come off and want to be pregnant the very next month and then find out, yeah, you have to wait a year even to ovulate. The unfortunate thing is that that will often mean that women end up in, couples end up in fertility treatment when they didn't need it. They really just needed more time. Mm, For your body to get back on track and to figure out how to do it on its own. Yeah. It's also worth checking in with blood tests just to see that everything is okay. And I would do that with my patients. I wouldn't just as a blanket statement, you know, assure everyone just to wait, but I would look to see if there's, I can see anything wrong. And if not, then, you know, and especially if it had been, they'd been on the pill for a long time. And especially if they started the pill at a young age, then I would feel more confident to say, look, I think this is just your hormonal system stalled from being on the drug. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. You know, you just have to keep going. And one thing I want to share here, which I talk about in the book, which is so fascinating to me, is that it takes the hormonal system, which is the communication between the brain and the ovaries, it takes that system 12 years to mature, which means that if you get your period at 13, say, then it won't be until you're 25 that your ovulation is in full swing and your hormones are fully going. And so then the question that always gets asked is, well, what happens then if you give the pill to a 14-year-old girl? It's like, what happens when she then comes off the pill at 31? Realistically, she's probably going to have to resume that maturation process and wait a few years, you know, until she has the, you know, fully happening ovulation. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So let's talk about pregnancy for a minute, because one of the main reasons a lot of women go on the pill is because they don't want to fall pregnant. So what can we do? Like, what are our options? Okay, so at the moment, there are basically five or six non-hormonal options for contraception. So I'll just speak through them for your, for your listeners. So number one is a, it's called fertility awareness method, which is a broad term, which can account for lots of different methods called symptothermal, or they have other names. And what that means is using scientific observations, such as body temperature, to identify which six days of your cycle you are fertile, and then which are the you know two or three weeks in your cycle when you're confident that you're not. Because as women, we're only fertile for six days out of each cycle. And it's not rocket science to figure it out. Although I will caution your listeners that you, you cannot rely on just a you know, a period app or a calendar to tell you that. Even if your period app happens to tell, give you a little ovulation window, if your goal is to avoid pregnancy, you cannot 
rely on that. You need to be measuring usually temperature in the body to be able to make those calculations. So there's there's different online training women can do. There's a book um, called Taking Charge of Your Fertility that is sort of a how-to manual for that. There's also a little computer device, which I endorse, I'm a big fan of, called Daisy, which does that all for you. Take a temperature every morning and then it gives you a little red or green light. And a green light means you can have unprotected sex because there's no chance of pregnancy during that time. So that's one. The next things down the the list are barrier methods, of course, which include condoms. And the thing with condoms, which I'm saying to all my patients now, and I put it in my book, is it's really important to get a condom that fits. So there's a a website, a brand of condoms called, I think, My One Condoms. And I'll just make an observation here. I am mentioning a few brand names just for the the sake of your listeners. I don't receive any... (laughs) you know, funding from them or anything. These are just brands that I like. So they they offer up, I think it's 60 different sizes of condoms. So, you know, the man can just measure himself and figure out what size he needs. And that avoids slippage and breakage. And it's a lot more comfortable. To me, it's just a no-brainer. I don't know why no one thought of doing that before. What about spermicide though? Because a lot of the over-the-counter condoms that you buy, they have toxic spermicide in them that you don't really want inside you. So can you talk a little bit about this? For sure. And there's a section in my book about it. There is no reason to use spermicide. So in fact, spermicide causes bladder infections in women almost all the time. So you really just have to read the label. And most of the good condoms don't have spermicide. Yeah, you can buy condoms with spermicide, but avoid those. Just get the ones that have a normal lubricant on them. And that should be fine. There's a brand that I've come across called Glide that a natural latex, and I think they're vegan. I, I can't remember, but they don't have any spermicide. Have you come across them? I haven't seen that one, but yeah, you can put that in the show notes as well. I'm sure there's some, some good ones out there. That's good. And there are other barrier methods, which I'll speak about for your listeners. One is the, um, a di- so there's two kinds. It's a diaphragm or a, what's called a cervical cap. And these are ones that the woman uses. And there's um, the one brand, the, the new diaphragm is called Kaya, the, the cervical cap called FemCap, and both are available in Australia. And they're used with a non-toxic gel. So again, back to your question about spermicide, the old style diaphragms had to be used with a spermicide, which in my book kind of made them not very appealing. But these are kind of more modern versions of that. So there's that. And then next, we'll come to a, what is probably a, rather controversial one, but we'll touch on it, is the copper IUD. So I say it's controversial because certainly, you know, there are women out there who've had a bad experience with the copper IUD. But at the same time, it's one of the few non-hormonal methods that we have. It doesn't suppress ovulation or do all those things that I was talking about with regard to hormonal birth control. It just works to prevent pregnancy and it works very well. And, you know, I, I certainly I can say that some of my naturopathic doctor colleagues, that's their method of choice. So it's it's worth at least considering. And I'll say that it's not surgery to have it put in. You know, insertion is quite a simple process. And once it's in, it's there for 10 years and you don't have to think about it, which is the other advantage, of course, of the copper IED, low maintenance. And do you have to then get that taken out if you want to fall pregnant? Yep. So then the doctor removes it and removal is super quick and easy. And the, what the research shows is there's a much faster return to fertility 
well, it's an immediate return to fertility once the copper IUD is removed compared to, say, the hormonal IUD or the other hormonal methods of birth control that suppress ovulation, which, as I've described, can take a while to regain ovulation. But with copper IUD, you've been ovulating every month anyway. So that's all already happening. And the interesting thing about removal, sometimes I like to mention this, someone did a study about self-removal, which to me was just fascinating. So it's it's not recommended, you know, certainly your doctor doesn't want you doing that. But I, I guess I mentioned the study only that they found it to be quite safe and just more to reassure women that, you know, removal is a simple process and not to be you know, discouraged from trying it because you're you know, sort of afraid of then having to get it taken out. So really interesting little sideline on copper IED. Then the last method, so we've, we've talked about the big ones. The, there's also something coming for men, which I'm super excited about, called basal gel, which is a, a one-time injection done in the doctor's rooms. Again, not surgery, something very simple, that blocks sperm from entering the semen. It's reversible, so then there'd be at some point in the man's future a second injection to wash that away. And then his fertility would be restored. And that technology has existed for a while, but they're trying to get it through clinical trials this year. And by they, I mean, it's a, it's a non-profit organization in the States called Basil Gel. It, I think they're trying to crowdsource funding for it because the pharmaceutical companies are not interested in bringing it to market, which I think says something <laughs> about how they value you know, women over men. So, I mean, I'd really love to see that, that enter the market. I think that's going to be a game changer. Mm. Okay. So we've got some options. There are options there for women, which is really, really great because, you know, I just really want everyone to be educated on what the pill is actually doing to their body and just have the information because I didn't have the information. So back when I was 18, I didn't know any of this and I didn't know, you know, the effects that it was having on me. And so if this is something that you want to explore, please just do your research, like educate yourself so that you are armed with the best knowledge and you can then make the best decision for yourself. So research, research, research. I I just can, and you know, get Lara's book and read that and do as much as you can to really arm yourself with all of the knowledge so that you can make the best decision for yourself. So I have another question about pregnancy because this is something that I get asked a lot and, and you know, my friends talk to me about it is what is a good distance of time between coming off the pill and then starting to make a baby? What most of us sort of work with is three months. The, the way the three months comes in is it takes three months to for an egg or a follicle an ovarian follicle to mature all the way to ovulation and then to eventually become a baby. So you want to have optimal nutrition in place, optimal health in place for all of those three months. And then you're going to have, you know, the healthiest eggs possible. And not just eggs, this goes for both partners because you're after super sperm as well. And super sperm takes three months, the same, same timeline for all of my, you know, my patients, I would say both the men and the women get on a you know, good quality prenatal to give the nutrients that are needed for the healthy genetic quality of the sperm and egg. That's, and also for a woman, that's the extra thing of just, you know, making sure that you're ovulating, making good levels of progesterone, because that's going to make it 
increase your chances of holding that pregnancy and having a good experience with that pregnancy. And it's not just about the women, is it? The men have to really make sure they are eating really well so we can have this super sperm. Yeah. One interesting thing about sperm, just to give you an idea of how sensitive sperm is. So we now know from the research that sperm is affected by what's called the semen microbiome. So your listeners might be familiar with the term microbiome. It's the gut. We use that to describe the gut bacteria. So a microbiome is the bacteria that lives somewhere in the body. And we have a microbiome in all different parts. We have a vaginal microbiome. We have a uterine microbiome. The men have a microbiome in their semen. And that, so that's a good bacteria living there. That affects their sperm quality. But just to give you an idea of how, you know, much there is to it really. So, you know, if I've got a man who's been on a lot of antibiotics, who, for example, has showing signs of food sensitivities or immune dysfunction that might relate to problems with his microbiome, then I think, well, you really need to kind of try to fix that to improve sperm quality, potentially any, the genetic quality of the sperm. Mm, so fellas, you're not off the hook. I think it's really important that we talk about this because there's a lot that we have to do as women and it, it's just as important that they are really nourishing their body and getting their microbiome sorted and making sure they don't have any gut issues because whatever is going on for the parents gets passed on to the baby, isn't it? Yep. For too long, we've thought of fertility problems as a woman's problem. You know, it's the women who come in to get looked at. It's the women who undergo the invasive testing that ultimately might undergo fertility treatment. And the stat, the statistics are that if there is what's called unexplained infertility, if it's just not happening and the doctors aren't sure why, if at least 50% of the time, it's a male issue. And it, it might not be immediately obvious to the doctors like they seem to be most of the doctors I've talked to seem to be pretty forgiving with the sperm with semen reports like oh that's good enough I mean there's a few little guys there I'm sure they can get the job done no 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 you know men need optimal health in terms of their sperm as well and you know I just it makes me sad to see when I've had patients who have put all the blame on themselves are thinking it's something they're eating wrong or something they're doing wrong or you know something they you know having taken the pill before when they shouldn't have or just some you know, story about their health when really the whole time it's their partner. So I would just encourage any couples out there who are trying for pregnancy to really look at both the male and female optimal health. Mm, it's so important, especially if you want to create a really healthy, thriving little baby. Like you want to make sure that you are doing everything you can do and also your partner is doing everything they can do because it is a team sport. Making a baby is a team sport. It's not just one-sided. So I think, you know, anyone who is listening to this and thinking of wanting to start a family or have another child, please get your partner to read Lara's book or listen to this episode because it's a team sport. It's very important that we all do what we can to really make a thriving, healthy bubba. Because so many kids are born with, you know, heavy metals these days and serious gut issues and all sorts of things. And we can really do our best to prevent those. Now, what else can men be doing? Because I don't want them to just kind of think, okay, well, I've just got to eat healthy and 
I've just got to make sure my gut is sorted. Like, is there anything else? Like, does stress play a big role in this? In terms of male fertility and male optimal fertility, a lot of it comes back to a condition called insulin resistance, which is a metabolic syndrome or prediabetes that seems to have a negative effect on sperm. So if that's the case, then a man might want to look at cutting sugar from his diet, which is definitely my top treatment for insulin resistance and um, supplementing magnesium, doing exercise. Those are all things that can help to reverse that metabolic condition that ultimately affects hormones and affects sperm. Mm, Awesome. And how did you get into all of this work? Like, What was the catalyst for you to be so fascinated with natural contraception and how did you get here? Yeah, that's a good question. The way I got here is I first, I trained as a scientist in my previous career about 25 years ago. And so that I think just gave me a certain way of looking at things. So then when I went on to become a doctor and started looking at working with women and working with women's health, it really um, became clear to me how women's hormones have been left out of the health conversation and how, you know, we're not acknowledging the power of those hormones. I'm, I see myself as a, a cheerleader for women's hormones, not just for if they want to make a baby, but for their life generally, you know, for their vitality. From that, I, I have to then, I had to come to the next step, which is that hormonal birth control is robbing women of their vitality. And that's why it's associated with side effects. We know now from some of the big studies, side effects such as depression and anxiety and loss of libido and things like that. Mm. And I think it's really important not to beat yourself up. If you are listening to this and you were on the pill for seven years, like I was, I went through a stage where I really was beating myself up about it. I didn't know what I didn't know. And if you are just hearing this information for the first time and your jaw is on the floor and, and you didn't know, then please don't beat yourself up. We don't know what we don't know. And all we can do now is take action and really nourish our beautiful temple that we have been given and do the best that we can to love it and nourish it so that it can thrive. Because like you said, it's not just about ovulation and fertility. Ovulation and fertility are a sign of, you know, vitality. You know, people who are listening to this that are thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to fall pregnant and that's not on my on my radar for a couple of years. It's not about that. It's about getting yourself sorted because that is a sign of good nutrition and vitality, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about women perhaps feeling bad, feeling maybe now ashamed or, you know, that they've been on hormonal birth control. There's no need to feel that because you're not alone. I mean, as you say, you were on the pill for years. Most women have been because that's what they were told to do. You know, that's been our current culture. That's the approach to women's health. So, and the other thing to say is that you can recover. My experience with thousands of women is that you can recover. I call it the period revolution. It's never too early or too late to join that and to you know reclaim your ovulation and your vitality. It can happen anytime. It can happen if you're 22 or you know 42. It's never too late. So and and the body is resilient. You know I maybe made it sound kind of scary what the pill does to women, but at the same time the human body is resilient. And for most of you know my patients and readers, I've just seen them come fully back into what their body needs to do. Yeah, the body's pretty magnificent, isn't it? Yeah. So now I would love to turn the spotlight on you and ask you a couple of questions. 
This has all been so amazing so far, though. I'm just really loving that this information and this conversation is being had because the way that we are going to educate the next generation is by talking about it. So having podcasts like this and your books out there and, you know, so much other information that we have access to now, the only way that we are going to educate the next generation and the generation after that is by having the conversation. And I'm not afraid to, you know, say I was on the pill for about seven years. I want people to really be armed with all the information and knowledge so that they can pass it on, so that they can make the best decision for themselves. So thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly so far. And For doing the work that you're doing in the world, it's really going to be so important for a lot of women. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying so. Now, Lara, I would love to hear what is one thing that's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? I'm a mountain hiker. So I I live over on the South Island of New Zealand now. Um, I still have my consulting rooms in Sydney, but I, I live over here so I can do overnight hikes. That's my one of my biggest joys. Beautiful. So do you still see people in Sydney in your clinic or is it all virtually via Skype? I still see them. I fly over there four or five times a year to spend a couple of weeks in my consulting rooms. And then yeah, in between I do Skype and things like this, interviews, things associated with my book. So yeah, I love being near to the mountains because I grew up near the mountains in Canada. So for me, that the way the sky looks, the way the mountains look, that's something I need. For my soul. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Nature, mother nature, hiking. Oh yes. Get me outdoors any day. It's just so beautiful. So if someone wants to see you, they can either book in in Sydney or they can reach out to you and have a Skype consultation and we can link to all of that in the show notes. Okay. So next question, what is one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? These are great questions, Melissa. So, well, I do a lot of public speaking, so I'm actually, you know, which I'm doing with you today too, but I just had a, a little training session this morning with a great speech coach and she was wonderful. This is, yeah, a chance. I'm just a few hours after that session. I'll just share with you she was able to help me, you know, see that I was still feeling quite maybe apologetic or hesitant or ambivalent about some of my work and about myself. And she was just very empowering to strip some of that away and kind of open me up to how important this work is and to speak yeah, more, more confidently about it. It was really great. Yeah, it's just one of those moments <laughs> this morning where I was just like, wow, I just needed, I needed that for a long time. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. Your work is so important. So please keep doing it. It's, it is so important and kind of leads me on to my next question, which is let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now let's presume your book is already in there. So that's a given. Because every high school student needs to read your book. But is there another book that you would love to see in the school curriculum? That is a good question too. I've read lots of good books lately, but I can't think of what that should be for everyone at the moment. No. 
That's okay. We can just say your book then. Yeah, say my book. For men and for girls and boys, actually. You know, I think it's important for men to read it as well. Absolutely. They need to know. Like a lot of boys growing up, you know, as I was in high school, they just had no idea. And it was interesting the other day I was at the gym and one of the trainers walked past me and he said, are you okay? And I said, oh yeah, I'm on my cycle. And he kind of looked at me like I just said I, you know, had three nipples or something. (laughs) And he said, wow, you poor thing. You poor thing. Like, why do women have to go through this? Why do they, are the poor things, it's so hard. And it's, and I was like, I actually love it. It is the best ever. Like I love getting my monthly moon cycle. I feel so empowered. I feel so feminine. I feel so womanly and sexy and I love it. And he was like, really? And I was like, I actually love it because it makes me feel really powerful and it also makes me feel like I know my body is doing its thing. I know it's working. And so there does need to be a bit more education, I think, towards the males because, you know, like he really didn't understand it. And this is a grown man. Yeah. You know, I think if men had periods, if that's, if ovulation was how they made their hormones and it was this monthly event, they'd be talking about it all the time. (laughs) It's like, how was your period? How was your ovulation? You know, and you know, I made some progesterone this month. Yeah, absolutely. No, they, they totally would. All right, let's talk about how your day looks now because I love hearing about people's morning routines and how they prime themselves for the day, how they set themselves up for success. So do you have a morning routine and how does your day unfold? Yeah, well, again, I can talk about today because this might be a good example. I did start with yoga. I love yoga. I don't do it every morning just because I don't always have time, but I did 45 minutes of yoga this morning. Then I had my breakfast with the kind of dinner for breakfast, hearty meal, which I often need in the morning. And then I did my little speech coaching thing and <laughs> went for a walk. And actually today's been fairly relaxed. But yeah, my my day day to day is varies quite a lot. I'm lucky that way. I don't have a set number of tasks that I have to do every day. Some days are Skype consults with patients. Some days are interviews like today. But one thing that I've started doing, which I will share, which I just makes such a difference for me is to no matter how busy my day is to take, to grant myself, gift myself five minutes in the morning to just relax. Like sometimes I'll write in my personal journal at that time, you know, have my coffee and just take a breather before I launch into whatever it is. And I find that does help to modulate my stress response or my adrenal response. And it makes sense because it's within the first half an hour in the morning after waking, that's when our cortisol does this massive spike that's normal, but you want to kind of let it do that without, you know, going too crazy. Mm, That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know it kind of spiked soon as we woke up. That's very interesting. Okay, so what are three things you are most recently grateful for right now in your life? Well, the one that popped into my mind, so I should just say it, is my husband. He's just having his 50th birthday this week, so I'm thinking about him and how happy I am that he's in my life. I'm grateful for my work. You know, just describing that I'm quite passionate about my work. I get to speak to a lot of interesting people like yourself, so you know, I'm grateful for that. And I guess... The final thing that just comes to mind is yeah, for, that I get to live in New Zealand and do all the walking that I love to do. You know, I do feel like I'm quite lucky in those ways. 
Mm, beautiful. Yeah, New Zealand is a magical part of the world, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so I've got three little rapid-fire questions for you now. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? To be fully nourished. I'm mentioning this because I know women get a lot of messaging about what they should not be eating. There's long lists of what we should avoid. Even today, I've talked about avoiding sugar, you know, which might be weighing on some of your listeners' mind. At the same time, I just want to emphasize how important it is to eat enough. And especially as, you know, as women, we need a lot more food than we've been led to believe, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I love that. That's really important. And in your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Trust your passion. That's what comes to mind. I mean, I'm certainly working just following my passions, which is you know, to communicate about women's health. And yeah, you know, I guess trusting that that brings me to the right places, you know, brings in you know, some, some benefits from that as well, for sure. And in your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? Yeah, I guess like what comes to mind is to not, yeah, be so worried about what other people think of us, <laughs> you know, because to just sort of not be perfectionist, which is something that I think I've struggled with, that just to allow people to love us how we are, which is with all our imperfections. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend about the word perfection and perfect and how we as women need to limit that from our vocabulary or even delete it from our vocab because it doesn't exist and it's going to hold us back. Yeah, I need I personally need to delete it from my vocabulary because it's it has a negative effect in my life. And you know, of course, yeah, it's, it's it seems obvious, but it's worth stating. I mean, none of us are perfect and never will be. It's like we can we can uh, drop any suspense on that part. <laughs> it's like it's not going to be perfect. <laughs> what? Really? No one's perfect? I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very important that we let that go. We let that word go and we just stay in our own lane. And and same with our period journey and our fertility journey. You know, it's very easy to compare ourselves to other women and we just can't. We have to stay in our own lane. We have to do what's best for us and our body because we're all so uniquely different and we all have different things going on and we just need to stay in our own lane and not compare ourselves to anyone else. Absolutely. So is there anything else you want to mention about everything that we've spoken about? Have we missed anything? If we have a couple more minutes, I will, I will mention the condition PCOS because I think you sort of mentioned that you were alluding to it earlier about the cysts on the ovaries. There's a lot of confusion out there with regard to the diagnosis of PCOS. I recently wrote a blog post called, Is it PCOS or hypothalamic amenorrhea? Those are the two leading causes of lack of periods. And I really would just encourage your listeners to maybe have a look at that post and just think through a little bit more how they were diagnosed because it can be quite scary to have the diagnosis of PCOS thrown at you. And a lot of the time I'm finding with my patients, it is not the correct diagnosis and they're actually fine. And as we said, just need a bit more time. So I wanted to get that out there as well. Mm, thank you for mentioning that. And I really, really, really want to encourage every single person to read your book 
to forward this podcast episode on to every one of their friends. And if you have got a missing period or PCOS or endometriosis or anything that just doesn't feel right, please reach out to Lara. Read her book first. Reach out to her and, you know, check out her blog and all of her amazing resources because I just want everyone to have this information. I really, really want to empower everyone to educate themselves and soak up as much knowledge so that we can thrive, so we can be the healthiest and best version of ourselves, and then we can pass that on to our children. So please reach out if you, you know, have any of the things that we've spoken about, even if you're all good and you're just looking at some natural alternatives you know, for contraception, like explore some of the ones that we've spoken about, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Stay in your own lane and just nourish, nourish, nourish your beautiful temple that you have been gifted. We only get one and we don't know how long we get it for. So we've got to look after it. We've really got to nourish it, take care of it, give it the best quality, food, water, thoughts, everything that we can and look after our vehicle. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well said. So my last question is how can I personally and the listeners, how can we serve you today? Oh, I guess talk about periods, you know, reach out and talk to your daughters and your, you know, friends about what's happening with them and bring women's hormones into the conversation. You know, that would be perhaps with your personal trainer as well. If you've lost your period, say, I think maybe something's wrong. I need to be doing something differently so I can have periods because I need my hormones. Mm, great. Let's start having this conversation. Let's get it out there. Let's talk about it. Let's not make it a taboo topic anymore. Let's be vocal about this because we need to be the voice. We need to start talking about it. You know, my girlfriends and I are constantly talking about it. You know, how are you? What's going on? And, you know, it's it's a big topic of conversation for us because we're so fascinated by it. And, you know, sometimes a girlfriend might invite me somewhere and I will say to them, I just started my moon. And they're like, cool, no worries. Don't You don't have to come. You know, like having that, you don't, you don't have to lie to them and say, oh, no, I can't make it because I just say I'm on my first day of my moon and all I want to do is lay in bed with a cup of tea and a hot water bottle and just be really introverted. That's all I feel like doing right now. By just being honest and opening that dialogue with your friends is really beautiful because you can just share so openly and honestly with them. Absolutely. Well, Lara, thank you so much for all of this amazing information. Thank you for your book. I absolutely love it. Cannot wait to finish it. I'm really excited. And thank you for all of your blogs. Thank you for everything that you're doing in the world. It's really important. And I am so grateful that there's pioneers out there like you that are spreading this message. So please keep going because the world needs you. They need your voice. So keep going. I'm so grateful. Thank you so, so much for being here. And thank you for having Melissa. I really enjoyed it. Remember that knowledge is power. Knowledge is key. So please forward this on to anyone that you think could really benefit from it. And 
really sit with it yourself and and think about your next moves and and how you can nourish your body even more to make you thrive to the best of your ability. So if you got a lot out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can share this message far and wide and we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 71. And you can also listen to all my other podcast episodes there too. Also, just a reminder that you can now order my second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex. All you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy today. And I also have a free online masterclass that Nick and I created for you. So you can go and check that out. Thank you so much for being here and for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from listening to this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story or on your Instagram, email it to them, text it to them. Do whatever you've got to do to get this into their ears. This is such important information and it's my mission to help get it out there to everyone. So please share it with all of your loved ones. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.